that they can find something where, like, with proper training, this non-lethal device solves the problem well enough for us to say, that's cool, let's do our training, let's install this, and let's move on. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in this week. Today's episode is a conversation with Joe Anderson, one of the founders of Reflex Protect, a Missoula-based startup that has created a non-lethal self-defense spray and full-service security system. What these guys are doing is fascinating, almost as fascinating as Joe's personal story, which we cover in detail in this conversation. Reflex Protect is the sort of company that restores your faith in innovation and the potential for creative solutions to seemingly intractable problems in our society. I'm really excited about what these guys are doing, and I'm excited for you to learn all about it right now. Okay, so we're here today with Joe Anderson. Joe, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. I don't even know where to start. You're, I mean, you look through your resume, your bio, you're like the most interesting man on the, on the, in the world. What do they say? What is that? Like Dos Equis commercial? Like he's the most interesting man in the world? You're it. Thank I, you. Well, I, I, thank you. That's a very nice way of putting that uh, I can't hold down a job for very long. Uh, Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, you're a collector of jobs. Yes, exactly. It's an eclectic resume. Yeah. Uh, It's been, been, uh, and it hasn't, it is. It's either a collection of jobs or it's really been a strange career. Right. And uh, I guess it sounds better to say it's been a strange career. So I want to spend the bulk of our time on Reflex Protect, your your, your new venture here. It's super important and interesting. But before we get there, I think the journey that got you there is important. So I grew up in Shelby, Montana, and then decided to uh, head to California for some reason, right? Yeah, well, it was cold. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was Shelby's cold. And it was, cold. Yeah, it was cold and it was windy. And uh, uh, my my fa- uh, family's lived up there for forever since before statehood. Right. Uh, and it's my mom's family's ranch. My dad is actually from a, a lumber family uh, ten- uh, in uh, Northern California from Weed, which uh, you know that was cool growing up as a kid having a dad from Weed. <laughs> dad from Weed. Yeah. Uh, somewhere along the line, I think uh, I got a, a California gene mixed in there because uh, yeah, I couldn't take the cold up in. Shelby. So, okay. um, and I, uh, I knew that uh, basketball uh, was not going to be my way out or football. So I kind of uh, went the, the academic and sure. extracurriculars route. And, and sometimes being from a really random place like that can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, geographic diversity. Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Universities appreciate that. Absolutely. So uh, I wound up uh, getting into Stanford mm-hmm. and that was terrific. Uh, I was interested in uh, in strategic weapons management there because we had missile silos all over the High Line and in various places. Yeah, and this was kind of the height of the Cold War, it I would was. imagine, too. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. So Condi Rice was one of the professors oh, right. that was around yeah. then. So, yeah, it was really interesting, height of the Cold War kind of stuff. And Stanford was an interesting place because the they have the Hoover Institution, which is mm-hmm. a right-wing think tank, and then a very, very liberal campus. So uh, got a little of both sides. Um, and, you know, kind of 
born into a conservative Montana family and then uh, dunked in a, in a liberal <laughs> uh, uh, environment for college. And, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I went to Georgetown for law school, kind of pursuing that same type of international relations okay. type of thing. And then uh, the Berlin Wall fell mm-hmm. and uh, was sort of out of a job. So uh, I decided, well, I'll make some money. And I uh, moved back to San Francisco. I missed the Bay Area. It's, okay. it's beautiful. And so I moved back there, and uh, I started working at a at a big corporate law firm called Pettit and Martin. Mm-hmm. And three years after uh, after I started working there, it was the site of the one on one California shooting. Yeah, yeah. And so br- bring listeners up to speed on that. I mean, notorious uh, shooting, yeah. mass shooting, mass in San shooting, yeah. largest in California history, With largest still? largest in San Francisco history. Okay. There okay. have been uh, there was actually a, a a larger shooting a few years earlier at like a McDonald's down in right. Southern California. Um, but this was the one that uh, that kind of got people's attention. Uh, the Brady Bill mm-hmm. uh, passed really as a result of uh, of the 101 California shooting. Um, there were a lot of different reactions to it. Mine was uh, to to quit uh, big firm practice of law and go join a rock band. Interesting. Yeah, uh, it just seemed to me that uh, whatever it was that I was doing wasn't necessarily what I I really wanted to do. Life, life short, short, follow your passion. Okay, got exactly. It. And, and you know the world did not need another keyboard player, but uh, fortunately, the probably needed another keyboard player more than it needed another random attorney. Well, though. that that may no well offense have been to true. the lawyers in the audience. Yeah, <laughs> that may well have been true. But what turned out was that the people that I got to know in that community, in the uh, music community, needed a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of entertainment lawyers um, have really ties to the industry side. And that makes sense, because that's where the consistency is, that's where the money is. If you just represent artists, you kind of have to take it on as a cause sometimes. And I was that kind of a person at that time. I was like, hey, yeah, I'll I'll be an artist rights guy. Um, And I got some cool clients, and I, I became an entertainment lawyer. And that led to a gig as the professor of entertainment law at uh, Hastings, which is the University of California College of the Law in San Francisco. Right. And, and as I'm sort of thinking about this timeline, so the shooting in 93, you're probably starting to flourish in this, this music law business in the mid-late 90s. This is an interesting time in terms of the interface of technology and creative enterprise. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I was teaching uh, kids... Uh, well, and I, I think of them as kids, but, you know, they weren't much younger than I was, mm-hmm. and some were older than I was. But they were, or their roommates were, young Turks in this burgeoning dot-com field right. that was fueled by Napster. And suddenly there was this convergence of technology and entertainment, and, and I was right there. the epicenter of this. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I wound up becoming kind of one of the country's... First, we called it convergence media back then. Okay. Digital media now, whatever you want to call it. And I started doing uh, a lot of work in that area, a lot of startups, uh, many of whom, uh, you know, had cool names like Click Movie uh, and things like that. And and they were before their time, uh, or they wound up being purchased by other behemoths. But mm-hmm. uh, but that's how I really got my entrepreneurial journey started. And what's your, uh, I mean, gosh, we could spend the whole time talking about, you know, the legal dynamics of, of that zone, but just quickly, like, what was your philosophy about, like, how do you protect the artists in a world where, you know, it was pretty quickly apparent that anybody could get their content without paying for it if they wanted to? Well, that was, it was really interesting because 
we weren't thinking about it that way at that okay. time because what the artists were doing was they were wresting control back from the labels. Yeah. And so what it was really all about was we're going to put all the record labels out of business. Yeah. And, and they'd made a good run at it, and they actually did fundamentally change the industry. Um, but at that point in time, the copyrights that were getting infringed all belonged to the big labels. Um, and it was only later when the fruits of those efforts to wrest some control back to the artist came into the artist's purview that they started saying, well, wait a minute, these are my copyrights now. Right. This is my right. stuff that I want to protect. Uh, yeah, and they, they fought to have it back, <laughs> not knowing that once they have it back, they have to actually protect it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so it was it was an interesting time. And there was a lot of youth, a lot of energy, um, you know, absolutely running around, you know, in black suits and Ray-Ban glasses and raising money just by putting the, the word .com uh -huh. uh, at the back end of whatever business plan you had. But all with these, you know, goals of of trying to to democratize right. access uh, and and sort of turn everyone into his or her own broadcast uh, station, which, you know, ultimately really really did happen. And uh, and I remember people talking about it at the time, and it seemed fanciful. And uh, now a generation later, it's just standard operating procedure. People people just understand that they have a worldwide presence uh, from, from the time that they can get on whatever social media outlet they want to. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about, you know, so what are you thinking about in terms of, I guess I'm trying to understand what your role in these burgeoning, in this burgeoning space is. Are you representing artists? Are you, are you working on the corporate side trying to help companies sort of come together? Like what, what? I had a real split role. There was okay. half of it was really just being a classic entertainment lawyer representing artists and yeah. doing doing deals. Um, and that was the same as folks who had been doing it 20, 30 years earlier. There were just new aspects to it. But the other thing I did was really become sort of an outsider, in some cases in-house general counsel for these startups. Okay. Um, and uh, so, you know, I didn't represent big labels like or anything like that, but I represented lots and lots of small startup companies. And so I would come in and really do everything from soup to nuts. I, you know, I'd start the company and do all the corporate stuff and some of the finance stuff and then their legal work and all their intellectual property work and all their contracts and distribution and all of those kinds of things. So I got to know the businesses almost like a founder. Sure. And in some cases, I, I was a founder. In some cases, they were, they were my businesses. I had a record label in the 90s that I ran with my then wife because um, we got her off her major label record deal and okay. started our own company. Went independent. Yeah. Then uh, by the time the, the, the turn of the century, which is funny to say still for people like me, but uh, by the time the century turned, um, I had a pretty good idea that, uh, that I'd had a hand in destroying the American economy. Uh, well done. So, yeah, I thought, uh, you know, that this is when you go to Hollywood. So uh, <laughs> so I, I, I fled the Bay Area and uh, moved down and continued to practice that kind of law. Um, and really kind of we, we were sort of the seeds of, of what they call Silicon Beach now, uh, myself and my partner, Philip Rosen, who was on the film and television side. But I also became involved in a film production company okay. with uh, Lance Bass from NSYNC, was mm -hmm. one of my partners, Wendy Thorlickson, who had been a development executive for Tom Hanks at Playtone, was another. 
uh, and and we put together um, a company and made a couple of uh, teenage girl movies for Harvey Weinstein. It turned out, uh-huh. uh, and uh, again, that was another entrepreneurial effort. It was like you know, really, um, Wendy wanted to to get uh, Playtone to make a movie with the, the guys from NSYNC, and, and Tom had the good sense to say, no, I don't think I want to do that. So I just said, well, just start your own company. That's what everybody is. We just start our own companies. And so we did. And uh, we actually had a pretty good run at that. So um, over time, as general counsel, I got to know a lot about a lot of these companies, but mm-hmm. I was also a partner in several None of them were really mine. They were somebody else's dream that I was, oh, I can help you with that. Facilitating. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. Uh, and I did that for a while. I Actually, when I left Los Angeles, um, Hollywood kind of wore me out, uh, I moved up to wine country. And I'd been writing a lot of screenplays in my uh, as a producer. Okay. And uh, I got tired of writing things that weren't meant to be read, that were actually just meant to be turned into something else oh, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so I decided, you know, I, I, I'm going to write a novel. So I went up to wine country to write a novel. Okay, this part is a surprise, not in the bio. <laughs> I knew you went to Sonoma, but the, the yeah. book thing, is, oh, yeah. is, that's new information, Joe. I, okay, well, there you go. Yeah, I, I wrote a book called Face the Music. It's uh, it's a uh, kind of a satirical take on the music business. Sure. It takes place one night at the Grammy Awards. Uh, and while I was up there, though, I met a, another fellow, another guy who had had a previous startup that had been very successful in the education technology field. Okay. And uh, he got to know me. He was like, oh, you're, this is interesting because what I want to do it again only online. The non-competes from his selling his prior company had, had, uh, had expired. Mm-hmm. And so he said, you know, look, you're, you're the startup general counsel kind of guy, but you're also – a producer screenwriter, and we want the centerpiece of the education uh, product that we're going to produce to be video. Sure. And to be sort of like if all the friends from the old TV show sat around and talked about Dostoevsky or Twain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so I came on board and, again, did all the sort of soup to nuts legal work, but I also produced and, yeah, you and know wrote production. Yeah, yeah. All, all of those, uh, the first 60-some episodes of, oh, wow. of that. And that, that company became StudySync, which is okay. yeah, one of the most popular yeah. digital, uh, digital education technologies out there. So, but again, that was, that was Robert's dream. Robert Romano is the, the name of the entrepreneur who started that company. And, and it was a wonderful dream. And I'm, I, it's a company I'm very proud to have been a part of at the start. But it's, it's his company. Um, Whereas when I got to Montana... Yeah, so what prompted the yeah. return to Montana, and why Missoula? Well, you know, um, uh, Missoula is... Uh, everybody in my family... I'm the black sheep for going to Stanford. Everybody in my family went to Missoula, and I, I didn't really know it very well. So uh, when, I, when I came back home, uh, I, I, I was looking around at various places that I might spend some time. I didn't know how long I was going to stay. Uh, and I, I liked Missoula. I got a good vibe here. And then uh, I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll stay long enough to take the bar exam. I've been meaning to do that okay. for 25 years. You know, I've got a ranch in Montana. I really should be uh, a member of the Montana bar. Well, in the first of about 97 coincidences, if you want to think of them that way, or acts of the universe, which is how I think of them, um, they changed the law that year. 
and okay. effective the 1st of January 2016, people like me could suddenly wave in to the Montana bar for the oh, first boom. time. Boom, you don't have to take it. Boom, didn't have to take so it. So California bar. Didn't have to take it. So now I got a California transfers. bar and Montana bar. I'm a lawyer in Montana virtually overnight. Oh, nice. Congrats. And, thank you. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was terrific. So I was like, well, that's a sign that maybe I should hang around here. And so then I'm thinking, well, do I learn a little oil and gas law? Do I learn a little water law? What, what am I going to do with this? Sure. Uh, only to find out that here at the University of Montana, there is a world-class entrepreneurial program. Mm-hmm. It starts with the Launchpad, then you got Montech, the Accelerate Montana system, you, and then just so many classes in at the MBA school, everything else. So I started volunteering uh, at, uh, uh, at the Launchpad and helping out, and I got really impressed, uh, more impressed than I've ever been with a support system anywhere. And the vibe in Missoula was very much like sort of Marin County in the 90s, only okay. humble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I lived <laughs> With, in Marin okay. from 96 to 2000, so I, I kind of know what you're saying. Well, really? So we were there at the same time. Yeah, I lived in Mill Valley. Me too. Yeah. How interesting. Right above the, um, what was that place called? This That concert, that little, like, the, the little... Sweetwater. Sweetwater, yeah. yeah right at, you know, there's a set of stairs oh, right up yeah. behind the Sweetwater. I know exactly where you're talking about. Well, yeah, the, you know the uh, on East Blythedale where the tennis courts were? Yeah, uh, yes. That, that's Catalpa Street. I yeah. lived on Catalpa Street. Okay. Yeah. Probably bumped yeah. into each we, other we at the We probably did. You looked strangely familiar. There you go. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, then you, you remember because it really did. It had this kind of can-do, happening vibe. Yeah. But, but humility was not among its its traits. True. Uh, and and I really had felt the same vibe here, but with without the, with the ego. humility, yeah. yeah, and almost a little bit of sheepishness about it too. Like, that too, I've heard that. Um, I've heard people say this about like a contrast between Missoula and Bozeman. Like in Missoula, people a little are a little sheepish about wanting to make money with an entrepreneurial venture. They sort of start with, "This is how I'm trying to make the world a better place," and you know, if we can figure out a way for it to pencil, great. Um, whereas in Bozeman, it, you know, in other places, it's pretty much like this is my way to get to this multiple. That's right, um, and, and that's 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 what my experience is. Yeah, been. and mm-hmm. and you know, not that there's anything wrong with with wanting to make money or or creating a, a big company or creating a lot of jobs. Nothing in the world wrong with it. And I've I've had I've been involved with my fair share of those. Most of the ones that I got involved in though in a personal way were somebody's dream yeah and it wasn't just a dream of making money it was sure. a dream of hey we're gonna we're gonna transform education or we're gonna transform the music business um, and and for artistic reasons mm-hmm. so uh, so that's the feel that I, that I found here in Missoula so I started helping out I started having so a, you're doing you're part of the like the legal um, you're giving legal advice to yeah. startup ventures through the launch pad and, exactly. and all of that. Okay. Exactly. And and what happened is I, I actually said to to Paul Gladen, the director of the launch pad here, uh, you know, Paul, this always happens to me. Somebody's gonna come along with a dream. Somebody's gonna come along with a with a great idea and I'm not gonna be able to resist it and I'm gonna wind up with another startup. Sure. Would it be interesting to you and and, and your students if I brought uh, you know, a half-baked idea to the launch pad. And instead of having the students come up with the ideas of what they wanted to do and, and me helping and guiding, what if I came to them with an idea and said, what do you think of this? Uh, would you like to join in and see if we can make something out of that? And he said, yeah, I think that'd be an interesting twist. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be an interesting learning experience. Let's do that. Yeah. And so 
it was really all of three or four days later. Uh, that you know, another one of these you know coincidences. It's shocking to me that you you get into interesting conversations. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. I, so I did. I was introduced to somebody. who was like, you got to meet this guy. Yeah. And the fellow I was introduced to is a guy named Steve Mangold, mm-hmm. and he had invented and was about to receive a patent on uh, what's uh, called we call it reflex technology. It's a spray head that he created to make a better bear spray. Okay, uh, and you know when I talk about this around the country, it's always complicated. People look at me funny. Um, you know, I've had I've had Californians come and visit Montana, and they ask how to apply the bear spray, like it's off or something <laughs> yeah, like exactly. that. When do I put this? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, when do I put this on? You know, did, is it good if I go in swimming? Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, don't open that can. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hey, this is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanas from ESPN Missoula, and you're listening to A, a New, New Angle. But he thought, uh, as many people do, that, you know, that it's kind of a, a it's a European car fire extinguisher uh, with pepper spray in it. Mm-hmm. And it works great if you can deploy it properly. Um, but people have had problems deploying it. So he said, well, I think you ought to hold on to the can and just have a pistol-style spray head on top sure. of it and it'll be much better. I mean, it's instinctual. It'll shoot something. Absolutely. That's attacking you. Yeah. yeah. So I, I saw it and I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Now, Steve had run into a problem which was um, being that this is America, if you want to spray a bear with pepper spray, you need to get EPA approval. Okay. Now, if you want to shoot a person... Like on each individual attempt to spray? I mean, that probably what, slow, That would really slow it I don't down. I if the bear would yeah, decide. Yeah, I don't think they'd wait for that. Yeah, but, probably not. Well, no, just the first time. Okay. Just the first time. You, but yeah, you got to go get an EPA approval, and that costs money and takes time. Right. And, uh, and so it was, that was kind of a little bit of an obstacle. So Steve had actually started to pivot and was saying, well, couldn't this also be an alternative to a loaded gun in a nightstand drawer. Couldn't we go that route? Because you can shoot people without an EPA approval or any other approval. Strange how that works. Yeah, huh? yeah, it's, it's America. So, uh, so I thought, well, actually, when I looked at it, I thought, well, yeah, a nightstand drawer would be awesome, but a receptionist at Pettit Martin 25 years ago, right. that would have been right. Your law amazing. firm. Every, yep. So Everything would have changed. we go back to this life-changing moment well, for you. Yeah. And it, it, you know, you rethink how that whole event and many other events and tragic events that are just seem to be piling up could have gone entirely differently. Could have perhaps. gone entirely differently. And so, really, the event that started my entrepreneurial journey came full circle in that moment where I realized, oh, this is this is what I'm supposed to do. This is why I'm here in Missoula. I'm supposed to shepherd this yeah. project along. And suddenly I knew it was my dream this time. So let's, let's just be clear about what this product is so sure. listeners are with us here. So this is a non-lethal deterrent. You can immobilize, incapacitate an assailant, exactly. a, a, a shooter. Uh, Absolutely. Anybody in the moment because you have something that's easily deployable, it's accurate, and yes. it's, it's gel, it sticks to the, to the person. Is that kind of how it works? That's exactly right. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of, of things that make it special. The first is the spray head itself, which makes it really easy for anybody to use, makes it highly accurate. Um, the problem with pepper sprays for indoor use or for use on humans and other like, than like riot situations is it gets everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It gets everywhere. So, so it, unless you're willing to sort of shut down uh, an emergency room or a school or whatever, 
you're not going to use pepper spray because it gets everywhere. Sure. So we we developed uh, a product called Presidia Gel, and it has the same basic chemical as in tear gas, but it's not a gas. It's a gel. Okay. So it does. It comes out in this highly accurate stream. It sticks to what it hits, and then it self-dissipates, and it's colorless, and it's odorless, and it doesn't get anywhere. So if there's five of us sitting here, and you decide from 18, 20 feet away that I'm the one that's about to pull the gun on you, yep. you can shoot me in the Boom. face, and the other four people sitting right next to me won't be affected at all. I will go down in a second or less yeah. in terrible, terrible pain. <laughs> I won't be able to see. I'll have trouble breathing. And it'll be easy for you all to get away and for the police to take care of me and put me in cuffs when they come to get me. So that's the the basic device is it does a lot of things that pepper spray does just better and it doesn't have the negative consequences. Mm-hmm. And so what was really interesting, though, is we we didn't necessarily set out to do exactly that except for because I wanted it to be useful in businesses. One of the first places uh, I went to talk to was a fellow in security uh, at the local hospital. At sure, St. Pat's. at St. Pat's. I mean, think of – I have a, a couple of good friends that work in the emergency department there right. and just the – the range of situations that they're dealing with, it's, it's unbelievable to Absolutely. think about the risk interface in yeah. a situation like that. I had no idea that uh, something like 70% of workplace violence injuries and claims for them in the United States happen in healthcare. Really? It's by far the most yeah. dangerous yeah. Uh, profession in terms of violence. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, lumberjack, fisherman, those are those you're more likely to get injured, period, but not necessarily due to someone else's right. violence. Healthcare running away. So of course healthcare had this problem that they couldn't use pepper spray because it would shut down the whole the whole ward. Uh, so in talking with Sean Paul, who was, who was the he- fellow heading up security there, he had implemented what he called, uh, not he called, he did, the training is uh, run, lock, fight. And what they, that gave everybody sort of a plan. And then in the fight section, when you couldn't get away and you couldn't just, you know, barricade yourself in and, and let the shooter go elsewhere or whatever, when you had to do something in that moment, they taught the use of improvised weapons. And so a lot of people had adopted wasp spray. And the problem with wasp spray is it's really good on wasps. It's not very good on people. Um, But it's also a pesticide. And we get back to living in America and having lawyers everywhere. Uh, It it turns out that if you have it as a premeditated defense product, then there's a liability issue. So Sean had to replace all of the wasp spray. And that was just when I met him. He had what he called his wasp spray problem. And I'm like, okay, I think we can maybe solve that. So in addition to the Presidia gel and the really accurate uh, uh, Reflex Protect product, um, then we added to that, uh, I went back actually to Montech, and there was a company there called Rivertop Renewables. Oh, right, the antidote. Yes. Right. Yeah, they'd gone out of business, but a couple of the chemists who worked there, very high-end chemists who worked there – had just hung out a shingle. They, they'd like, okay, well, our, our company closed, but we're going to just keep doing some stuff and see what we can find. And mm-hmm. so I, I went to them and I said, hey, can you show me what this other product on the, on the uh, market is that purports to reverse bear spray effects? Um, because I had used it and it had helped a little. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's what it is. And we'll get something like that. 
uh, so that I can I can have sort of a complete suite of products. And I gave it to them, and they tested it, and they came back and said, that's witch hazel. Okay. I said, okay, uh, so you can make something like that. And they looked at me like I had just insulted them yeah, terribly. Yeah. Of course like, we can. Come okay, on. Come, uh, we is, can do a like little better than that. Yeah, right here. yeah that, we can do better than that. And so these guys did. They created, I think really they were the first ones to actually just try. Sure. Nobody really tried. They tried to alleviate it, but nobody said, hey, let's let's create an antidote for tear gas and pepper spray. But these guys did. And, in fact, we just filed a patent on that in December. Um, so that gave us this kind of whole product really as a product of the, yeah. the Accelerate Montana system, of the needs of this community, mm-hmm. listening to what they needed in healthcare, what the university had going on, what what happened to various people, and suddenly we had this product that was a solution for active shooters and workplace violence in healthcare. And that's so, when Parkland happened. Yeah. So let's let's sort of like pull the lens back here and you know, broadly this is a topic where you know, it seems like we are at an intractable impasse at a societal level. Like take a thing like a school shooting. You've got people on one side that say the solution is get rid of all the guns. And then people on the other side said, no, the solution is give more give the teachers guns. Give the students – well, I don't think anybody's saying give the students gun. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. But it's one of those things that you're like, I don't know. I have no idea how a solution is going to emerge. Like these people won't even sit down at the table. Yet, I mean, you're going to talk about your experience in Polson, I would assume. Yeah. You've got a product and a, and a service and an idea that is a, a through line to a solution perhaps. It, it does seem to have the, the potential to change everything. Yeah. And uh, and the interesting thing is I was one of those people. You know, I lost friends in the 101 California shooting, and I, I helped stage a parade the next year to stop gun violence. Sure. And I, I, you know, did a lot and of work. And probably your idea to stop gun violence was to get rid of guns. No more right? guns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I became a, a major gun control advocate. Interestingly, uh, the inventor, Steve, Steve, he's a member of the NRA, mm-hmm. lifelong member of the NRA. So we could not have had more polar different ideas about this subject if you just picked us off the street and had, a, uh, had us have a debate. And yet together we created this thing that we both looked at and said, well, this, this actually solves both of our problems, both of our objections, if you will. Yeah. And we found out we weren't the only ones that we could go to a school board, for example, and, you know, this is a one in a billion chance that it's actually going to happen in your school, and yet it's so important and it's so front page that it is what school boards are and should be thinking about and discussing. But you're right. It was intractable. They couldn't get anywhere. It was guns, no guns, guns, no guns. And suddenly I began to see the problem as not who is right and who is wrong about guns and no guns, it was violence is. Right. The threat of violence is. Let's keep having the guns, no guns conversation. Maybe some day we will resolve it. But right now we are dealing with a fact, and that is that violence is occurring, whether it's workplace violence or it's active shooters or it's whatever it is. And if we're going to respond to it, we have a couple of choices one of which is don't respond to it or respond with sort of improvised things that aren't going to work. The other of which is arm ourselves to the teeth and have shootouts all over the place, mm-hmm. which probably is going to have more negative repercussions on innocence than anything. 
And the middle one then becomes, well, non-lethal. And the problem with non-lethal had just been that it had these obstacles to making it workable in the types of places that need it most. And we had accidentally solved those obstacles so that suddenly people started looking at our healthcare product from a school perspective. And they said, sure. that's it. That's the solution. You take it to the school board that's been bitterly divided for the last couple of years over this question. They all look at it. They see in one another this commonality for the first time, which is they just want to protect the kids. Every single person in the room just wanted to protect the kids. And yeah, they so all maybe... saw in this, wait a minute, that's the answer. Decided to, um, do, uh, to, to implement it. And the next thing you know, they're talking about how do we get the football team new uniforms. So, yeah, let's talk about maybe that, just the dynamics of that experience. Your first entry point into the school world and, and, and how that felt, how it played out, the changes that you saw in, in the community as they were willing to have a conversation that was productive instead of adversarial. Yeah, it was, it was great. And, and, you know, and, and these people all know each other well, and I'm sure when they, you know, they leave the meetings, it's not like they're, you know, they're throwing rocks at each other out in the street. But it was definitely one of those things that people disagreed on. And I remember the, the first meeting that we, we really went in with the school board, this is up in Polson. Um, this no one in Polson actually. Oh, okay. Polson, we, we we worked with the superintendent. This was up in Sun River Valley. Okay. Sims and Fort Shaw. We actually went to the school board meeting the first time, and I was there with my one of my wingmen these days, uh, who you would know from around cap uh, campus, Captain Bill Gl uh, Ben Gladwin. Okay. Uh, yeah. Recently retired from the University of Montana Police Department to mm -hmm. join us, and he came on board because uh, he had worked on a training video with us. And then said, well, you put some words in my mouth that uh, I, I think I believe, but you're going to have to spray me with this stuff to, tr to prove it. And we did. And he said, okay, this is it. This is the answer. This is the missing piece. Uh, and uh, about half, half a dozen months later, he was able to take early retirement and join us. So I was with Ben, who comes at this from a very different perspective than I do. He's a cop. Yeah, he's been in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've been in it, but, but like different way. Yes, different different way. way. So he's got the cop perspective. Plus, he's been in higher education. He mm -hmm. spent the better part of his career here at the University of Montana, and I'm coming at it from the kind of entrepreneur. You know, wow, how's this going to play out? And to see people talking to each other um, in ways like. I appreciate you. Like, I know the last time we talked about this, I probably said some things that weren't that nice, but I appreciate where you're coming from and the other person looking back and going, yeah, no sweat, me too. Right. Because now that I know we're both looking at something that we can agree on. Yeah, the common objective. We've got a common objective. We always did have a common objective. And, you know, and you could just feel the lightning and the, the comfort in, and the peace of mind mm -hmm. that came into the room. And I thought, oh, God, that's what we're selling. I hope nobody ever uses one of these in a school. Of course. I mean, they've used them in hospitals already, and that's, that's to be expected. But not against active shooters. They use them for workplace violence. Uh -huh. You know, people come in and they're, uh, you know, out of their minds or having a bad day, whatever. That's to be expected. If, if, when we're in corrections facilities, they'll get used probably all the time. Right. These okay. situations are, yeah. you know, commonplace in yeah. certain settings. But I hope it never gets used in a school. Of course. But I hope it brings peace of mind to schools all over the country that can suddenly feel like we have thought this through. We have decided on, and I don't care if it's my product or not. I think mine happens to fit it really well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are maybe be others. Um, but 
that they can find something where, like, with proper training, this non-lethal device solves the problem well enough for us to say, that's cool. Let's do our training, let's install this, and let's move on. And let's hope we never have to use it. Uh, but let's be well-trained and practiced in its use so that we feel comfortable that if anything ever does happen, it's there for us. Mm-hmm. And if, I can, if, if our company can give people that peace of mind, um, but just by you know, achieving our mission, which right. is to offer <laughs> sure. this to them, uh, that's an amazing thing. And again, it's, it gets back to shepherding the project. It, 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 I'm constantly uh, reminded that you know, this wasn't my idea. Uh, it wasn't even my dream that it would work out this way. This has been a process that seems to know where it wants to go, uh, and it's been my privilege to occasionally get out and, and clear some ditch uh, in, in, in front of it uh, and, and otherwise to shepherd it along as it has flowed in the direction that, that seems most useful. Mm-hmm. And that's been magic, and that's been magic. And I'm not sure that would have happened anywhere but here. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, Why do you think Missoula is such a... An appropriate place for an idea like this to really flourish. I think it's it is because uh, it's only twenty minutes from Montana. Uh, <laughs> well put. And uh, um, you know you've got this sort of liberal t- uh, university town. Uh, you've got this superb entrepreneurial support system. Uh, you've got uh, a, a conservative uh, and hunting you know, sort of Wild West background where I grew up with guns. Everybody grows sure. up with guns here. Uh, so uh, I think it just had that interesting mix um, where you where you could, um, you could bring it to people. Um, and I guess, let me back up. One other thing I would say is, as an entrepreneur, Missoula is really interesting and Montana is really interesting because you can actually get to people. If I had yeah. wanted to make this happen uh, in California, the number of people that I would have needed to get to um, would have that that would have had ten or twelve layers of people between me and them. Uh, it, it just would have been a much bigger deal. Here, uh, you know, if if I needed to speak to the mayor, I, I I could speak to the mayor. If I needed to speak to the president of the university, I could. Uh, if I wanted to get the local expert on the horn to talk about uh, pepper spray, I could. If we needed to get a hold of the governor, you can. Uh, there's sort of one of, of everything, but just one, and you can get a hold of him or her. Exactly. Um, and so, and they're all really excited about Montana innovation. So when you call up and you say, hey, I'm doing something that's kind of exciting, I need to ask you a question or I need to ask for a little help, they'll listen. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that would have happened in California. Maybe other places, yes, uh, but, but not in California. So when you mix that with the uh, sort of mixed culture, the purple culture uh, mm-hmm. of Missoula and the surrounding yeah, areas. fertile ground. And then, you know, to a certain extent, you drop me with my specific background and toolkit into it. Um, and then, you know, the universe does it, does the rest, uh, makes the right introductions and allows things to flow. So, um, you know, maybe it could have happened somewhere else. It didn't. It happened here. Right. And I can't imagine it 
really happening any other way than it did. So you mentioned shepherding and kind of just having the poise to let things unfold as they as they may. This thing is now Reflex Protect is developed, you know, a couple of different product lines and channels and you know, there's got to be some sort of clarity and strategic objectives emerging like what's what's next for the company what's the trajectory what's uh what are you cooking up next well yeah we are we're looking into um making these devices communicate with one another Interesting. Uh, making them okay. smart uh, you know the initial device is something that uh, uh well let's let's look at what we're really trying to achieve here right we're trying to narrow the gap in time between when the possibility of violence erupts and when either the first responder, which is you, can respond uh, yeah. in, a, in a fully engaged way, or the second responders, who are the first responders, uh, the police or whoever can arrive. And, and I'm reminded kind of of, uh, uh, in terms of thinking about this in a different way, I always think about the, the 1912, I think it was, Triangle Shirtwaist Fire in New York, where none of the immigrants could get out of the building right. and it burned up, and it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, and and the reaction to it, you know, was, hey, we need new building codes. Um, it, they didn't. It wasn't about you know capitalism or immigration or whatever. It, it was we need new building codes. We need fire extinguishers. We need fire escapes. We need to make it so that when these this reality happens, this fire breaks out, uh-huh. people can react sure. correctly. So. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to give people some way to react quickly and, and shorten that gap. So one of the things is uh, it comes the Reflex Protect comes in a docking station, makes it really easy to grab out of a drawer, even if you're asleep at home at night and it's in your nightstand drawer. You can get it when in the dark. Well, that's great, but it's still better if it was already in your hand. And so, for example, we can work with uh, uh, apps um, that could be a panic button. So if someone sees somebody suspicious out on the school grounds and they hit their app, that warns everybody to pick up their reflex protect. Yeah. Okay, so you've already got it in your hand. Our next phase of development is to return that favor. If somebody silently needs to pull their reflex protect out because something dangerous just walked in, it can notify everyone else in mm. that same circle via the app, hey, Unit 14 has just been activated everybody act appropriately. Right, right. So those types of things. Um, you know, we're going to have a new school safety box uh, just to make sure that, that uh, the kids don't do what kids do. Um, and uh, we're, we're just looking at, you know, laser sighting, making them so you can have them in cars, different sizes, different options, but all with the same basic goal, mm-hmm. um, which is to allow people to be their own first responders in a way that they're comfortable with, that they feel like, if I have to do this, um, I can. And if I make a mistake, it's not a disaster. I can, I, you know, the, the, <laughs> the person's going to recover. Yeah. I've, I've got the, the antidote here. I can, I can make them better or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. So, um, so that's the idea is to just keep expanding in that space as, as much as possible to give people those options. So, Joe, how can people... You know, listening, learn more about Reflex Protect and, and, and this this really compelling product and offering you guys have come up with. Oh, thanks. No, I, I, uh, the, the, I, I will say this, and I will say this, and probably should have said it earlier. Maybe I kind of referred to it, which is 
one of the joys of this has been how many people um, have come in and worked on this. For a long time, we had all of one employee, uh, and it wasn't me. Uh, and, and it was all contractors who were experts in their field of sure. different things. So we've had some great videographers, some great um, artwork people, and, and our, our website person is excellent too. So I promise if you go to the, the website. The website is yeah, beautiful. It, uh, thank you. Yeah, and, and I didn't have anything to do with it. So uh, I, I really do appreciate it. It's, it, was a, it. They did do a nice job. And it's reflexprotect.com. It couldn't be easier. But there's lots of video on there. Uh, there's plenty of information about the product itself and what it does. Um, and, and if I do say so, it's a, it's, it's a pretty entertaining uh, entertaining site to visit. For sure. Well, Joe, thinking about this kind of, I mean, we talked about it earlier in jest about how you're a collector of careers. Uh, it would seem you have a lot more work to do on this one that's really important. So I hope uh, as, you, as you're collecting careers, this one sticks for uh, quite some time because this is a, a hugely important product, service, and company that um, I'm just so in not in awe, but just so inspired by the potential of things like this to to really be creative solutions to what we thought of as unsolvable problems. Thanks a million. I appreciate it. And yeah, I, I think I kind of like to stick around with this one too. Yeah, please do. And thanks for your support of the University of Montana, our entrepreneurs, and, and, and everything happening here. And thanks for coming on the pod. Absolutely. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. Happy back anytime. Absolutely. Okay, I hope you found that conversation with Joe as interesting and inspirational as I did. All right, coming up next week, I am super stoked to bring you my conversation with Anne Helen Peterson, a Missoula-based writer for BuzzFeed News whose writing I am just super compelled by of late. This is one I'm pretty darn giddy about, and I'm looking forward to bringing it to you next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. And before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Executive producer, Stefan Borsum. Producer, Aiden Morton, and interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time. <laughs>